Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. We've been going through the book of Matthew for the last couple of years or so, and we're just about to the end of that great gospel. But I'm going to go ahead and take a few weeks off from the book of Matthew. We're at a really good spot to go ahead and push that back until uh, we're in chapter 27 and 28, and so it'll be a really good spot to save that for Easter as we talk about the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord. So we'll go ahead and hold off on Matthew for a few weeks. And so this week and next week we'll have a two-part study on Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 20. And then the week after that, just to let you know where we're heading the week after that, so two weeks from today, we're going to have a special installation service for our new elder and our new two deacons. And so that will be a fun time. But then Easter will be upon us and we'll hop back into the book of Matthew. So it all works out pretty well. But this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, and let me read verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. We pray with me? Lord, we're thankful for your word, and we thank you for the trust that we can have in it, knowing that when we read it, it is sure to be perfect, sure to be true, and sure to change us as you work it in us by your spirit. And Lord, as we look at these first few verses within this text, I pray, Lord, that you'll be honored and praised. In Christ's name, amen. The way of Christianity and the the way of following after Christ is a serious way of living. All the things that we do as Christians with worship throughout the week in your personal life, the worship as we come together on a Sunday morning, the preaching within that worship, the singing, the, the reading of Scripture, all of those things are to be taken very seriously And even though that's true, and even though I think consciously, if we were to have a discussion about it, generally most of us would say that that all of that is true. As you look in the church today, you often see the reverse attitude. That it's not that serious. People aren't looking for a Christianity that rubs them the wrong way. They're looking for something easy. They're looking for a Savior to follow who will then give them a lot of stuff in return for following after Him, reducing Jesus to a you-scratch-my-back, I-scratch-your-back kind of a God. 
People aren't looking for something difficult. They are not looking to go against the grain. They're not looking to swim upstream. And you can feel it when you converse with people, even Christian people, where they say things, even in regard to worship, like, it's not that big of a deal. You don't have to take everything so seriously. Lighten up a little bit. It's the 21st century. But friends, when I read the Bible, I get a a totally different vibe. Nothing in the Bible makes me feel like we should lighten up. When we read about the holiness of God, and we read about the expectations of God upon our lives, the fact that He is a consuming fire, all of these things... Or when we even see within our passage today, we read about our nemesis, Satan. The devil is a schemer that would love nothing more than to shred us to pieces. And he assaults the kingdom as much as is within his limited power. I can't help but be serious when we read passages like this concerning spiritual warfare that we're to be involved with as God's people. That we're actually and truly wrestling against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil. So I can't lighten up. Because Christianity is a serious business. Spiritual warfare is a spiritual or a serious business. And our enemy is a serious enemy. This morning within our text, we're just going to look at a first couple points. Like I said, this is going to be a two-part series. And on the back of your bulletin, you can see the outline that I'm going to be following. Very simple outline. And the first two are listed for you. This morning, we're going to be looking at the power with which we stand and the perpetrators that we stand against, these wicked ones that we stand against Within the first few verses, these Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, you see a couple of words that are repeated several times, which is obviously important to know as you're reading through the Bible and you're making notes that it's important to see what's being repeated. Not that something is mentioned once isn't important, certainly is, but when it's mentioned several times, it's obviously very important. And you see two words repeated several times between 11, verses 11 and even verse 14, but you see the word stand and the word against. So verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then verse 14, stand therefore. So there's an obvious action that Paul is charging us to do. He wants us to stand, but not just stand without a purpose. He actually wants us to stand against something, against wickedness. So again, verse 11. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so the point should be clear, even if you're going to check out now, as we're just a few minutes in the sermon, the, the point should be clear. We need to stand against something. We need to stand against evil. Easier said than done, right? No doubt we could all gather together and discuss person after person who has fallen. The person, the people that don't stand anymore for the cause of Christ. How many high profile pastors have hit the news with another affair, another embezzlement, 
Another disqualifying sin. It happens all the time. So how are we not going to fall into these statistics? How are we going to live our whole lives for the glory of God from becoming born again all the way to the end? How are we going to stand firm against the enemy that would be coming against us the entire time that we are Christians? First, we need to know where the power comes from and to stand in that power. So verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. So Paul, when you think of the book of Ephesians and the context of our passage, he's finishing his letter to the Ephesians. So the first three chapters are filled with doctrine and truth and all these great rich uh, uh, truths about God and who He is and how He has interacted with us and how He has chosen us and so forth. And then into chapter 2 where he says that all of you before you became Christians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then Ephesians 2.4, but God, He made us alive together with Christ and He's caused us to be seated in the heavenly places. And all of this great doctrine within those first three chapters. But then, as he gets into chapters 4 to 6, he begins to give uh, encouraging admonitions. Practical things in which we are to do as Christians. So in chapters 5 and 6, he literally gives instructions to everybody within their church body. He gives commands to husbands and wives. He gives commands to children even. And he gives instructions to slaves. But now, in verse 10, he says, finally. So to all of you who are under the reading, the first time you can imagine this book being read to the Ephesian people, all of you now who are sitting under this book being read, and even us today, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of His might. So what does this naturally mean? This means that if all of us are to obey this command of Paul, This would mean that there would be no weak links in the army of the Lord. You can be sure that Satan is going to do his best in his scheming to show us our weakness. But the command of Paul to all of us is to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You notice that what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, be strong in yourself. He doesn't say, empower yourself. Find it within yourself, the strength and the power to stand. The world would have you believe that. Oprah would have you believe that. But God would not have you believe that. So the call is not for each of us to pull yourself up from your own boots by your own bootstraps. You notice he doesn't go after us and say, you guys are so pathetic. You need to find it within yourself. Be strong. Empower yourself. He doesn't go there at all. The call is not for us to walk around and to even boost each other's self-esteem or to tell each other how wonderful and strong and great that we are. The call is to be strong in the Lord, to be strong in His strength. You see, what Paul does by giving us a very simple command like this is he, he pins us into a corner because our natural inclination is to go a couple different ways when we talk about strength. You either have self-pity or you have self-righteousness when we talk about strength. So on the one side, you have the self-pity where we wallow over our weakness or we have the self-righteousness where we revel in our own strength, which makes being strong in the Lord the antidote 
to self-pity and to self-righteousness when it comes to spiritual warfare. So, if you struggle on that one side of of self-pity, and you're always wallowing in your defeat, you're always in the rut, you're always stuck in the mud, you're never finding any kind of success in standing against evil, be strong in the Lord. Hear me and, and take this in the compassionate way that I mean it. If we go week after week, never getting anywhere in our relationship with Christ, never having any victory, never seeing any kind of growth, the problem is not with God. The problem is with you. The problem is with me. Because Christ and His power are more than enough to help us to get through whatever it is we need to get through. I mean, God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He he caused His Son to come back from the dead. So His power is surely not to blame. And I think oftentimes we kind of want to blame God. God, God, why aren't you there for me in this situation? Why won't you help me through this addiction? Why won't you help me through this problem? Why won't you help my marriage? Why won't you do any of the things that I really want you to? Well, it's certainly not because the power of God is not able the, power is, the problem is with us. On the other side, if you're not on necessarily on the self-pity side, but you're on the self-righteous side, reveling in your own ability to be strong, and finding that you fall on your face a lot anyway, the antidote, again, is to be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in yourself. And this is convicting to me, because in truth, I probably bend toward that one. The self-righteous side, the getting up and and preaching, the getting up and counseling, the getting up and being a pastor, normal pastoral duties in my own strength and not being strong in the Lord. And I think that's probably a lot of our tendency, that we think we're good, that we think we can do it. We can face the day without prayer. We can face the day without getting into the word and putting on the armor of God. And then we fail and then we fail and then we fail. But brothers and sisters, the admonition from Paul here, the command from Paul is to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I love even the testimony of the Scriptures on this. To give you just a few, Ephesians chapter 3, he says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You notice that it's about Him granting you the power through His Spirit. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's not about you and your strength to do something. It's about Jesus doing it through you. Apart from Jesus, you can't do anything. Or even love the testimony or what it says of David in 1 Samuel 30. It says that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But where do we vividly find the power of God? I think it's so vividly found in the resurrection. That I may know Him, Paul says, and the power of His resurrection You want to know spiritual power. Get deeply uh, uh, committed and engaged with the resurrection. Understanding its depth and its truth. So much of what we find in the armor of God. Specifically in the gospel itself. Is found in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so let's be clear. Be strong in the Lord, Paul says. Be strong in the strength of His might. This is the only way. This is the foundation upon which the next few verses rest. How are we to be strong in the Lord? We'll look at that next week. More practically speaking, how are you strong in the Lord? You're strong by putting on His armor. 
You try to stand before Satan in your own power and you will faint on that day. You stand in the strength of the Lord and you will not fall. And so the expectation that Paul is setting forward is that we are all to be strong in the Lord. There is not to be any who say, well, I'm just not strong. Well, that's the point. All of us are not strong, but we are to be strong in the Lord. Now, why do you need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? What is the purpose for the what is the need to be strong Friends, you don't need to be strong if life is going to be a cakewalk. You don't need to be strong if there are no enemies to speak of. You don't need to be strong if there's no threat. But there is a threat. Look at verse 11. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So when we consider the perpetrators, we must first consider the chief perpetrator and what he does, Satan and his schemes. So the word for schemes here is, is where we get the word method. The word in the original is methodia. So you can see where you get that method. And it's a specific context and connotation of trickery. So what Paul is referencing is the schemes. His craftiness, Satan's cunning, his deceptions, his tactics. The old King James says the wiles of the devil. It's in reference to his trickery of which Satan is a total master. Some of you may have read uh, the book, The Screwtape Letters, by C.S. Lewis, the same man who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia and many other books. But The Screwtape Letters is a, a fictional book of an old seasoned demon named Screwtape who was writing letters to his nephew named Wormwood. And the whole book is about Screwtape teaching his nephew Wormwood how to trip up the human that was assigned to him. How to bring him down. How to tempt him. And it's a really insightful book into our own humanity. And even into the way the devil schemes against us. And I read a little bit of an interview that a guy did with C.S. Lewis. And Lewis said that the Screwtape Letters was the only book that he did not take pleasure in writing. Because it was fatiguing for him to call good bad and bad good. Because he's writing the book from the perspective of a demon. And that demon finds evil to be good and good to be evil. But this is what Satan flourishes in. He's a schemer. He calls good bad. He calls bad good. And this is why we need the strength of the Lord. This is why we must put on the armor of God. Because the devil is constantly scheming against the people of God. But even to break it down a little further... Let's not assume that we're all on the same page in regard to the devil. Who's the devil? The Bible calls him the accuser. He's the adversary. He's the roaring lion that is walking around seeking who he may devour. He's Beelzebul. He's the ruler of the demons. He's Belial. He's the enemy. Jesus calls him the father of lies. He's the serpent of old. He's the great dragon. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the tempter. He's the little G-God of the world. He's the wicked one. And he's worked many, many wicked works that we see even within the pages of the Bible. Of course, the tempter of Eve in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning of the Bible. We see him in the book of Job. You remember he goes to God and he, and he says that the only reason that Job is, is following after God is because Job has such a good life. And so God commissions or allows Satan to go ahead and tempt and torment Job. You remember that Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness. He enters into Judas in order to betray Christ. You remember that Jesus says to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. 
Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that Satan hindered him from going to the Thessalonians. And also there was a messenger from Satan to harass Paul. And much more. So many Christians are lethargic and out of the battle. Because we don't know who we're actually up against. Paul isn't telling us who our enemy is to scare us. It's his tactic here. He's not doing that. Satan is a mortally wounded foe, but he's telling us who our enemy is in order to, as one writer put it, to quicken our diligence and our earnestness. This again is why we have to be so serious. We would be serious if we truly believe and know who Satan is. This is why it's so serious, because the devil is playing hardball, so don't expect him to loft one up for you. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Satan is scheming? Fundamentally, do you believe in Satan? My fear is that we go through life with this sort of practical atheism or disbelief that Satan really exists or that Satan is really at work. Do we live that way? Or do we live with a false understanding of who Satan is? A little red guy with a pitchfork and a long tail. Generally speaking, we're, we're so tunnel visioned. And what Paul is seeking to do is blow up that tunnel that we're so often looking down and cause us to see the reality. He wants us to open our eyes to see what we're really up against. We're like Balaam and his donkey. Remember that story in the Pentateuch? Do you remember when Balaam is riding on his donkey and all of a sudden the, the donkey jumps off into the field off to the left? And then Balaam, he beats his donkey, he gets the donkey back on the path, hops back on it, begins riding again. And then all of a sudden, the donkey slams Balaam's foot into a a wall. Balaam beats the donkey again, gets back on it, starts riding him again. And then, with no place to go, the donkey lays in the middle of the path with Balaam on it. Of course, Balaam, he's beat the donkey a couple times, he beats the donkey for the third time. But why was the donkey avoiding the path? Because there was an angel standing there with a sword in his hands. And friends, I pray that the Lord will open our eyes to see more clearly what he sees. To see not Satan standing in front of us, but to see spiritually the battle that is truly raging all around us. Look at what he says in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That word for wrestle there is actually the only place where that Greek word occurs in the Bible. But the reason we know that it means wrestle is because it was used most often to describe the actual wrestling competitions that they had in the first century in this part of the world in Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. So Paul is using a term that they would have known extremely well. He wants them to know who we are wrestling against. When you think wrestling, don't think WWF or WWE, whatever that thing nowadays with with body slams and pile drivers and all that kind of stuff. This is man against wickedness. When you, when you watch an actual wrestling match, I had it on the TV the other day, watching a couple guys just wrestle each other, and they're just, they're so close. Uh, you can't get any closer. I mean, you're just trading sweat. It's a disgusting thing. You're in a little leotard. Not that you're in a spiritual leotard or anything, but you're wrestling with one another. 
man against wickedness. And notice that Paul includes himself in the struggle. He says, we, in verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So Paul, he's not some sort of super apostle, superhuman with no struggle. Paul himself is engaged in this struggle. That's why he knows it so well. That's why he's able to say through the inspiration of the scripture, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're going man against wickedness, woman against wickedness. The ones laid out in verse 12, where you see there the rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces, they are under the command of the devil. They are following the prince of the power of the air, just as we all once did before we were transferred into the kingdom of light. He says the forces in verse 12, the rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. As you can imagine, there's debate on exactly what all of that is and how all of that's exactly chopped up. But what we do know is that the devil and his forces are laid out here. They are not separated powers, but they are joined powers. And Satan, as the chief perpetrator, they have a common agenda. They have a common enemy, you. They are all seeking to destroy the righteous and the things of God. And we need to remember that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom. And we've been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus. Satan no longer has dominion over us. Christ is now our king. We were once an enemy of Christ before we trusted in him. But now we are an enemy of Satan. And don't think that Satan's not holding a grudge. He does not like you. He doesn't take it easy. He does not like Christ. And he's doing all he can, can, again, in his limited power to assault the kingdom of God and the people of that kingdom. Friends, it's vital to see these perpetrators as who they really are. Highly serious foes. Again, do you not look around you as you've grown older and you see the carnage of once apparently bright and fine Christians To see them on the outskirts of the battle, or worse, totally out of it. As Martin Luther says in his great hymn, Almighty Fortress, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. But God has not left us without his promises concerning the strength that he has given us to face the foe that we face. The Apostle John said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Or to quote Martin Luther again, I often laugh at Satan and there is nothing that makes him so angry as when I attack him to his face and tell him that through God, I am more of a match for him. So the power with which we stand and the perpetrators with which, against whom we stand... You notice that this passage, again, is not written in the spirit of fear. Paul doesn't write it in such a way where he says, the devil and those rulers and those authorities, they're all really bad guys. You all should really run and be afraid. Just run as fast as you can and get away. That's not what he says to do. He writes in confidence. He says, you Christians, you stand strong in the Lord. You Christians, put on the armor of God. And when you do, the enemy will not be able to stand a chance. I've said a couple times, these are defeated foes. Why are these defeated foes? Because the cross ultimately and mortally wounded Satan. 
He dealt the mortal blow. The gospel is now not just limited to a specific people group, but it has blasted through all the nations and is continuing on. There is nothing to fear. Our Lord has gained the victory through His death and resurrection, and He commands us to stand with Him in the power alone that He provides. Up from the grave He arose with a mighty triumph o'er His foes. Or these verses... Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Or in Colossians 2, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Romans 8 Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Brothers and sisters, stand strong in the Lord against the enemy. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us in providing the strength that we need. Lord, I pray that as we continue in the battle, we continue in spiritual warfare, that will consciously wake up in the morning or go home this afternoon and consciously be self-aware that we are in your power and strength. That it's only through you that as David did, we will strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God, knowing that if we were to go to battle without your strength, it would be as though standing naked before the enemy. Lord, I pray that you'll help us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for your promises. In Christ's name, amen.